Amen. So Pastor Drew and Rob, uh, as you may know, they're both over the hill this weekend at a marriage conference uh, with their wives as well as with other couples in the church. And so when Drew was telling me that I was going to be preaching this Sunday, um, he said I could choose from anything to preach on. And I don't know about you guys, but that is a hefty task because... You have to choose from the whole Bible what to preach on. And so he was, he was literally just like, you can choose from anything. Just whatever the Lord is putting on your heart. And so um, to illustrate what I chose to preach on, um, you know how when you are on a new website or you're logging into a social media for the first time or trying to make an account uh, for something that asks you to make a full profile. And so ask you your name ask you where you're from, your age, things like that. Um, and then underneath that, usually it has a, a paragraph where you can start talking about yourself and give a little bio, a little description about yourself and what you're most passionate about. Usually in that area, you put what you're most passionate about. And so for me, and for I think if I can uh, safely speak for all of us, I would say for us as a church, what we should be most passionate about as a church is Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. In other words, the gospel of Jesus. And so that's what I think us as a church should be most passionate about. But to be real, to be honest, for me, I feel like sometimes when I take a step back and look at myself introspectively, that a lot of times Jesus isn't always at the forefront of my mind or the gospel and what he's done isn't always at the forefront of my mind. Most of the time, if I'm super real, uh, I'm pretty self-centered. I look introspectively um, prideful, and that's um, a shame to say. Other times, I'm super passionate about traveling. Um, other times, super passionate about the next Marvel movie coming out. I'm a huge Marvel guy. Um, if you look at my bank account, you will see that I spend a lot of money on iced vanilla lattes. Those things, I don't even have any shame about it. Like, those things are so good. I'm super passionate about those. Um, and so I think we all have a lot of different things in our lives that we're most, like, pretty passionate about. Um, but I can say safely that the most important thing, the most transformative thing in the world from throughout all of history is Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so I just want us to take a moment this morning um, and think about that and talk through that. And so that's why I wanted to talk about the gospel of Jesus today um, and wanted to find a passage that clearly just walks through the, the gospel. And so this morning we will be in Titus 3. If you guys want to turn there in your Bibles, Titus 3, verses 3 through 8. I'll, I'll give you guys some time to turn there. It is in the New Testament right after 1st and 2nd Timothy. And so when it comes to the gospel, when uh, the Lord gives me opportunities to just share the gospel with others or talk about the gospel, um, there's really three passages that come to mind. Um, and so you may have heard some of these passages. There's some nicknames that I've given some of these passages, but also one that is pretty common to know. And so I was just wanting to share those with you guys that we would all be more aware of different passages to share. Um, and so if you have your notes with you, feel free to write down 
these in your notes. It's definitely a note-taker type of sermon. But the first one is the Romans Road. The Romans Road. That is Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9 and 10, and then Romans 12.1-2. And each of those verses, back to back to back, just clearly explains the gospel super well. The next one uh, that I gave a little nickname to is the Ephesians Expressway. Kind of going off the Romans Road deal. Um, I, it's kind of cringe, but bear with me. Um, that is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. That is my favorite passage on the gospel and what he's done, just from the fall all the way to him saving us and what we should do about it. And then lastly, where we'll be at today is Titus 3, 3 through 8, and I call that the Titus Trail. And so, yeah, if you guys want to write down the Titus Trail, that is where we're going to be today. And a lot of times, a lot of people don't really know about this passage in Titus 3. Um, there's a lot of words that are hard to understand. Um, Titus as a book is often overlooked or most people don't talk about it. And so that's kind of why I wanted to tackle it this morning with all of us, um, is just go through the gospel in that passage. And so if you're new here at Santa Cruz Baptist and maybe you're not a believer, you don't know what Christianity is all about, you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, like I am so glad you're here. Like this this Sunday is for you, and I, I believe that God brought you here this morning for a reason. Secondly, if you have been coming to Santa Cruz Baptist for a while now, but you still may not be a Christian or believe in Jesus, like this morning is for you as well. Like we welcome you guys, and we hope that this, this passage really just hits home for you. And then lastly, if you're a Christian this morning, and maybe you've been coming to Santa Cruz Baptist for years on end now, maybe you're a member even, like, shocker, but this morning is for us as well. We should be reminded of the gospel every single day. I, I know for sure I need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. Like, the gospel is not something that we move on from. It's something that transforms us and renews us daily. And so, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, before we read the text uh, with any letter, uh, it's always good to have context to kind of know what's going on around the letter so that then we can kind of get takeaways from what's happening in the letter. And so Titus, um, it's a letter to Titus written by Paul. Paul and Titus were missionary buddies together. They were on a lot of missionary trips together all over the world. And Titus was Greek. He was a Christian. And so Paul had this special mission set out for Titus. Paul was pretty much telling him, like, Titus, I was just on the island of Crete sharing the gospel with the people there. And they need churches. They need elders in those churches to be built up and raised up and start living godly lives. And Crete in that day, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Crete. It's actually beautiful. Like, has now become one of my top ten places to go, um, bucket list wise. But Crete is beautiful. But in that day, it was kind of known as a sin city. Um, known for sexual morality. Known for greed evil people, mercenaries, treachery. And so Paul is like, Titus, there is a need for the gospel here. There is a need for gospel change, for people to start living uh, godliness in their lives, start living holy. Um, and the only way to do that, to start living godly lives, is to know the gospel of Jesus. 
to know what he's done for them. And so the gospel is the only way that we can truly change and be transformed, be, be made new. And so that's what Paul was encouraging Titus with. And so that's the context for the letter of Titus. And so I'm going to read um, the passage, Titus 3, verses 3 to 8, all at once. And then we're just going to go through it one verse at a time. Starting in verse 3, it says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so usually in a sermon, in a text this big, I would try and make multiple points, try and do a lot of takeaways. But this morning, I really want to make one point. I really, and that, that point is actually going to be a question. And so if you have your notes, the question is this. Do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? In other words, do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior and King over all, who came down to earth to live for us and to die for us, to unite us with God on the cross for our sins? Do you believe in Him and is He the Lord of your life? Have you trusted in Him and His life, death, and resurrection for your sins? So my prayer for us this morning is that all of us think about this, that we all ponder the gospel of Jesus. And so with this said, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Starting back in verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And so right off the bat, Paul is saying, just to set things straight, that at the beginning of the verse, when Paul says, for we ourselves were once foolish, he's talking about what people were like before Christ entered their lives, before they were Christians, just to hit that right off the bat. And so this verse is saying that before Jesus came into the world, we were all apart from God because of our sin. Adam sinned in the garden in Genesis 3, and that's when sin entered the world. From that moment, we were separated from God because of our evil and lawless ways. He sinned against an eternal God. And so through that, you may ask, like, well, like, Ben, I get that, but why, why does sin itself separate us from God? Like, how would sin itself separate us from God? And that's honestly, like, a really good question. Like, I've asked that plenty of times. Revelation 4.4 says that God is holy. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so when sin entered the world in the garden, that's when unholiness and darkness entered the world. And Isaiah 59 says that God cannot be in the presence of our sin, of darkness and evil. It says that our iniquities made a separation between us and God. 
which is, I mean, devastating, right? Like, I think about my own sin. Like, I'm, I'm just one sinner, and, like, even that separated us from God. And so all of us sin, and it's just devastating. So our sins separated us from our Heavenly Father, from our Holy God. And so when sin entered the world, consequences followed. People around the globe who, like, hear about Christianity, who hear about Jesus... They think, like, well, like, why is sin so bad? Like, what's the big deal? Like, why can't I just keep on sinning? Like, usually, like, a lot of people ask this question. I, too, have had this question for many years. Um, and it's a really raw question. Um, and it's a good question that people have. And so here's why sin is so bad. When sin entered the world, so did death. Adam and Eve were living together in perfect harmony with God in the garden. But then sin brought forth death into the world. And not just a physical death, not just our bodies decaying um, when we grow old. Also a spiritual death as well, where we're separated from God eternally if we do not believe in Him. If we don't place our faith in Him. And this is all backed up by Romans 5, 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So even today, every time that someone is born, they are born spiritually dead into this world and the sins in which they're walking. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says this. It goes along with this. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So you may ask, like, well, Ben, like, what does it look like when we're separated from God? Like, what does that look like on the daily? In verse 3, and Titus says it, it says that when we're separated from God, we are foolish. It says we act out, we disobey God. We are led astray. We're not on the path that God wants for us. Kind of like a lost child. It says that we, when not in relationship with God, are slaves to various passions and pleasures. As Ephesians 2, 3 says it, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And so that verse for sure hits home for all of us, especially for me. I know that there are a ton of things, a ton of sin and darkness that plague this world, whether it be pride or lust or addiction, alcohol, chasing fame and likes, drugs, lying, deception. The list can go on and on. And this is all of us living in darkness when we don't know Jesus. And so lastly, in verse 3, verse 3 says that when we're separated from our Heavenly Father, that we hate one another and are hated by others. Which that's like not good at all. That is, that is tough. And so if you're the person here thinking like, well, Ben, I hear you, but like I'm going to be the first person to walk this earth and not know God and not be in a relationship with Jesus. And I'll be good. I'll be chilling. Like I'll, I'll be fine. I hear you. I truly do. And I would lovingly like to speak into you that that's a false way of thinking. And that's not true. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And so Romans 3 says that we are all sinners, that we all need him, and that we all really do need God. And so to this point, to back up this point, about five years ago, um, I was looking earlier, I DM'd Tom Brady on Instagram. And so if you don't know what a direct message is, that's what it is, is you just slide into the DMs, and I DM Tom Brady. And so before you think I'm weird or you're wondering why, um, I saw an interview on TV about five years ago. It was after one of his NFL games. Tom Brady, by the way, is this phenomenal football player, uh, quarterback. And he was interviewed, interviewed by a lady after one of his games. And the interview really struck me. Uh, and so the lady was interviewing Tom Brady and said, Tom, you know, like, you've pretty much got it all. Like, you have supermodel wife, you have a sweet family, multiple kids, you have all these championship rings, and you have millions of dollars. Like, what more could you want? Like, are you, are you like, looking for anything else? Are you fully satisfied? And it was interesting because I, like, heard the hesitancy in Tom's voice. There was a pause. And Tom said, that's true, like, I do have those things. But I still feel like there's something else out there that I don't have yet. And I was just like, that's crazy because all I could think of was the gospel. All I could think of was Jesus. And so we as a church, we know that the gospel, Jesus Christ, he's the one that truly gives life, the one that fully satisfies. And so I DM Tom Brady the gospel. And um, obviously, I never got a reply. I don't know why Tom Brady would give me the time of day. I was 18 years old at the time, and he probably didn't even look at it, but it's whatever, it's chill. Um, But yes, we as Christians know that the gospel is life-changing. It's life-altering, really, that it's fulfilling, and that's Jesus. And so I hope all of us hear this this morning. I was just talking with my friend um, last night on the phone last night uh, back in Oklahoma, And we're just talking about how we've been struggling with comparison uh, recently, how we're seeing people with cooler cars or he has a wife and he's wanting to buy a house someday and all of these things, all these cool toys and stuff. And he's like, Ben, to be real though, like we'll always be wanting more money. Like in our flesh, we'll always be wanting more and more and more. But the reality is that we'll never have enough our tank of satisfaction in the world's eyes will never be full. The only one who can truly fill us fully is Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. And so when we don't know Jesus in our lives or have him in our lives, that's when sin comes in. That's when evil comes in and that's when sorrow fills our lives. Romans 3, 10 through 11, this is an insane verse. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says that without God, no one is good, not one. And that when given the chance, we would not even seek for God. God's the one who draws us near to himself. But we would not seek for God on our own. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. But that's why the famous hymn, the one we sang this morning, says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's a great hymn. And so we're prone to walk away. We're prone to walk away in our sin and stray away from the goodness of God. Like we are all utterly broken. 
truly. I know that I for sure am. We all need Jesus in our lives. And so that's the bad news. Um, I know a lot of you may be thinking like, man, this sermon so far is pretty, pretty down, pretty dull. Um, I'm sorry about it. It's, it's bad news, but it's all true. It's all true what um, has been said so far. But thanks be to God that the story doesn't end there. Thanks be to God. Here's the good news. So far in verse 3 um, in Titus, we see that the person we've been talking about is man. Man, us, humanity. Us, we as the recipient and us doing the things. But in verses 4 through 7, the shift goes from us to God and what God is doing in us as a recipient. And so in verses 4 and 5, if you look back at the text with me, it says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so that's some good news. Like, that is the good news. And so like, I would just like to take a minute like really think about it. Like, all hope was lost. We, humanity, we were separated from God, a loving, merciful, and just God following the sinful passions of our hearts. Like we were in the mud in our sin with no way to get out. Every single one of us, before Jesus comes into our lives, there's no hope for us at all. But then from these verses, we see that Jesus Christ comes on the scene. Jesus Christ appears. And so here's what we cannot forget before we get into the good news. Here's what we cannot forget is that God is not only loving and merciful, but he's also a just God. A lot of people tend to look over this attribute of the Lord. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7 says that God is not only loving and merciful, but he's also just. It's only fair that our sin should be punished. Our sin cannot go unpunished. God's wrath has to be poured out on somebody. But here's the deal is that he's not only just, but he's also loving and he's merciful and he shows grace. And so here's the deal. God the Father sent Jesus Christ to come down to earth 2,000 plus years ago to live in the form of a human, us lowly humans, to tell people of his kingdom, tell people of the heavenly Father, and of salvation, to do miracles, and then ultimately to take the full weight of all of our sin, past, present, future, every single one of us in this room, all of California, the whole U.S., everyone around the globe, past, present, and future, all of the world's sin on his shoulders, and died for him, and died for us. Like, he saved us if we truly believe in him. Let me say that again. He saved us. Jesus saving us is way different than us trying to save ourselves. Our own works do not save us from God's wrath. A ton of people all over the world tend to think that, you know, if you're nice enough and you hold the door open for the lady behind you going into the restaurant or you pay for someone's coffee or you don't say a ton of cuss words, that, you know, those are all good works and that they've kind of earned the right, that they've been a good person. But as we saw earlier in the verse, no one is good, not one. And so he saved us. He saved us. 
What's true is that Jesus, not our own works, save us according to his own mercy. He saves us according to his own mercy. God in his grace saves those who believe, not because of any righteousness in them, but because of his own mercy. And so our good works that we think make us so righteous and good are actually filthy rags in the sight of God. There's no way that we ourselves can work ourselves to the Father. But actually, John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus paid it all. He is the only way to the Father. And so going forward back to verse 5, there's some kind of like hard words to understand. Um, And so let's unpack them together. I'll read verse 5 again. It says this. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul says that Jesus saves us by the washing of regeneration, the washing described here is a spiritual cleansing. If you've been in church for a while, you may have heard phrases like, Jesus washes us white as snow, or Jesus washes us with his blood. And so here's what these mean, is that remember that we were spiritually dead without God. Without Him, we would end up in hell, honestly, forever, in eternal uh, torment, separated from God because of our sin. But check this out. This is what is, like, crazy. I actually just found this out uh, this past year. All of these verses started clicking for me. It's insane. Um, But ever since the fall of man... Man had to atone for sin. Men had to pay for their sins year after year after year with the blood of animals and, you know, goats, sheep, lamb, all these things. Um, And it says in Leviticus 17, it says that the blood makes atonement for souls. It makes the payment for souls because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And then Hebrews 9 said that there had to be high priests. So in the Old Testament, you see all over, there had to be high priests who would go into the tabernacle and they would yearly shed the blood of these innocent lambs, these spotless lambs, uh, and atone for the sins of the people and for themselves. The high priests, they were sinners as well. And so they had to atone and pay for their sins as well. But the problem with this is that they would be limited because the high priests would die when they got old and the people kept on sinning, kept on sinning. It was like an endless loop of just helplessness. But God in his mercy and his grace sent Jesus Christ down to do this for us. Jesus never sinned. Payment and atonement requires a lamb that is spotless. It's stainless and it's a male. And Jesus came down, never sinned. He was perfect He was the sinless and spotless uh, lamb and our great high priest who once and for all paid for our sins on the cross, not with means of his own, not with means of animal's blood, but means of his own blood. Like he was tried wrongly, taken up to the cross, was scourged and had nails driven in his hands and feet and took all of that excruciating pain on his body, but also took on the sin of all of us on his shoulders. And he died for us. He gave himself up as a sacrifice for us, for our sins. 
And the good news is that three days later, he rose again, which is incredible. He defeated death. This means that he once and for all paid for our sins, showing that he truly is the Son of God and the one that we should worship, the one that we should praise. And so this is what it means when Jesus washes us white as snow with his blood. And so the other phrase that's hard to understand is the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Back in verse 5, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 kind of clears this up. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so when we become a believer, when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, the Spirit renews us, makes us new. We are born again. That's some incredible, incredible, incredible news. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says this. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so that verse is saying that Jesus makes us alive forever with him by grace through faith, not anything that we've done. And so moving on to verses 6 and 7 in Titus 3, uh, when Paul is talking about Jesus' mercy, he says this, Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so when I was in Santa Cruz for the first time uh, two summers ago, uh, as the youth intern, I remember Drew giving me some advice one day. He said that there are these DNA terms uh, that we should always know. There's these terms and throughout church. You hear them in a lot of Christian circles. And they're honestly like super foundational, super good terms and words that we should all know. But apparently, a lot of the time, we throw these words around and don't actually know what they truly mean. So words like grace or love or redemption, hope, faith, sanctification, repentance. These are all crucial words. And so we should really know them. They should become like DNA to us where if someone asks us what they mean, like we should know them by heart. We should live them out. We should know them in our inner core. And so in verses six and seven, we have two of these type of DNA words that I would like for us to look at. The two words are justified and grace. Justified and grace. Justified. Justification. Justified means to declare righteous, to make right, to be in right relationship. And so, to put it in simpler terms, in relation to us and God, when you become a believer, you are justified. Which means that when God looks at you, when he looks upon you, he looks upon you as righteous. You are now in right relationship with God. And so if you're a believer in this room today, you've been justified. You have repented, turning away from your sinful ways and old self and have believed in Jesus Christ. You've died to your old self and have believed in him. And so how are we justified? It says in verse 7, by his grace. And so what is grace? Grace is a state of kindness and favor towards somebody. So in this case, God the Father is showing kindness and favor toward us at Jesus' expense, 
I've actually heard uh, an acronym. There's always a lot of acronyms uh, thrown out by pastors and stuff. But grace, you can think of it as God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And so grace is a gift. Grace is when God the Father showed kindness to us by sending Jesus down to die for us so that we could be brought near to him if we believe in his son. And so at the end of verse seven, it ends with a promise. And that promise is eternal life if we have a relationship with God, if we are justified by his grace. And so how does that work? There's two verses that spell this out so well. Um, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. These are foundational and tell us all about salvation. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says this. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. A, that's a good truth right there. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 also says this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so these verses say that if you have faith and believe that Jesus is the Lord of your life and Lord over all, and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You will be saved. And so let me paint a picture for us, a, a picture for us real quick on this matter, how love and grace from the Lord just transforms us. Um, Rob is not here, so I'm just going to use him in this analogy. Um, I think that's fair. And yeah. But let's say that for some reason, um, I'm in Capitola. I'm on 41st. I'm at the Penny Ice Cream. And for all the real ones out there, obviously I got mint chocolate chip. Um, stacked it up nice and that's just the best flavor to me anyways just got my ice cream and I am uh, about to cross the street about to go back to my car looking at my phone uh, probably looking to see if Tom Brady DM me back um, and you know crossing the street on my phone have my ice cream and this huge semi truck barreling down 41st right at me and I'm like helpless, I'm toast. But then Rob hunts out of nowhere, pushes me out of the way, saves me, and takes the semi just head on and dies. That is gruesome, I know, um, but that's insane. And so let me ask you this, do you guys think that that would change my life? Yes. That would absolutely like change my life from that day forward. I love Rob and like his sacrificial love. I would be telling him and telling people all over the world about his sacrificial love and his heroism for me on that day. Like, it would change my life. I would be more thankful. I would be impacted. I would want to bless others with love that Rob showed me. And so if we think about it, this is kind of like the gospel. It's pretty much what Jesus did for us. The only difference is that Jesus Christ is the son of God the savior of the world who took on the sins of all of us and gave himself up for us, sacrificed himself when we were helpless, we were toast. And Jesus comes down, takes on torment 
and the sins of the world for us. He gave himself up for us, and that is true love. And so that is something that we must respond to. That leads us into our last verse, verse 8. And it's crucial. It's crucial for believers as far as in terms of the gospel and what to even do with it. And so I'll read that for us. Verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so Paul here is saying that the gospel, what he just went through, is trustworthy. It's true. And secondly, he says that there's a response. First, to believe in this, but secondly, to do good works, do good deeds because of it. Believers are changed by Jesus' love so much that out of Jesus' love for them, they want to love others. I've heard it said that behavior always follows belief. Behavior always follows belief. And so if we believe that Jesus Christ took on our sin and died for us and is the Savior of the world, then, man, we'll be impacted by it. Day in and day out, we will be impacted by it. We should not take God's grace for granted and then just keep on going on with life and keep, you know, living as if nothing happened, right? That would be, that would be terrible. We should show love to people because he first loved us. And so this could look like evangelism. This could look like getting coffee with somebody and telling them about Jesus. Could look like paying for someone's laundry at the laundromat or helping someone move into their new house or paint their new house or sharing God's love with them or even just smiling. Like a smile goes a long way. And I've, I've realized that these past two weeks being here, like, not just Santa Cruz, but this whole world needs Jesus, right? This world is dark and it's evil and people are walking around with no hope. There's so many people I've been walking by who are just not smiling at all. And it seems like they're just having a miserable time, honestly. And it's sad. And the one who can bring true joy and happiness is Jesus. And so if we smile, we spark up a conversation, we tell them about our faith, that could go a long way, truly. That can go a, a long way. And so I have a personal goal um, this week. I would love to challenge all of us to take this goal, this challenge up. And at least once this week, I would love to sacrificially love someone and just be on the lookout. Pray that God gives me an opportunity to love someone sacrificially because that's what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did for us. And so I'd love to challenge us with that. Because Christianity, honestly, it doesn't stay inside these four walls. Christianity is meant to be lived outside of these walls, and especially in these walls, but outside. And so that's my prayer for us this week, is that we would truly just reflect on the gospel and be changed by it. And so in summary, we were lost without Jesus. We were hopeless in our sin. But then God made a way. God brought us back to him by sending Jesus to die for us. And so if we believe in him, that he is Lord over all and that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. We will be with God forever. And we could truly live for Jesus. And so my prayer for those in this room who are Christians is that we'll just take the challenge and that we'll be impacted by the gospel day in and day out. 
And if you're in the room still wrestling with faith and with Jesus, or you still have questions, I would love to talk with you after this service. There's a black table outside, uh, and I'll just be at that after this. Um, and I'll just ask you, man, just keep praying and keep, keep thinking about Jesus and what he's done for us. Thank you for your time. I'll pray for us, um, and then I'll hand it over.